You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. In your Bible this morning, we're continuing our series, um, The Gospel Story. We're looking at uh, uh, the book of Job. And when we do that, immediately we just think, oh, you know, because why? It's about suffering. It's not an easy book. Uh, there are 40 chapters in the book of Job. And so what we're going to attempt to do is uh, give you a synopsis of the book of Job at the same time that you see the application in your own life. Because that's really what the book of Job is all about. Uh, it's about what God can do in our lives through uh, suffering. So turn to the book of Job. It's between, I think, Esther and Psalms. So you can go there. Listen, uh, Annette and I, we're so blessed by this community and how this community has taught us. They've taught us how to follow Jesus is what they've done. And and um, we have a dear friend who over the past several years has dealt with five bouts of cancer. And uh, this has been going on for some time and the cancer has reoccurred again. And uh, while each bout has brought it different and unique challenges, um, some worse than others. One thing that I know is for sure is this person has remained steadfast and faithful to Jesus. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, but her faithfulness doesn't mean that there haven't been times where, where you struggle. And because you're faithful doesn't mean there aren't times in your life where you ask a lot of questions. And we certainly see that in the book of Job. And Job was a sufferer, and he had a lot of questions to ask. But this person um, has been one that we turn to over the years for prayer, for wisdom. Uh, but most of all, we've turned to her because she models Jesus so well. And where that modeling and example comes out in our life as believers is when we suffer. And uh, there's, a, there's, there, there's a stripes we earn as, as people who walk, people who are people of faith. It really is about suffering. And I wished I could tell you something different. You know, I wished I could tell you there's another way. I wished I could tell you that, uh, hey, uh, it's all happy all the time. But it isn't happy all the time. We know that Jesus modeled things for us. And one of the things we know he did is he modeled suffering. So what I'm hoping for this morning is that we'll learn from this great little phrase in the book of Philippians where Paul writes something really simple. He says, in whatever state I'm in, I'm learning to be content. That's an interesting word, the word learning, uh, because it's a progression. That's what it really is. It isn't I've learned it, it is I am learning it. And I'm hoping and praying that I'm a lifelong learner. I hope you want to be a lifelong learner, because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says. Now, if Paul says that, certainly there's room for us to grow. I mean, when we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, we look at that and say, wow, I have a, a long ways to go. And I'm sure I know I do. I'm sure you do. But he teaches us some things, and we learn from Job the same way. It's a learned process. It isn't something that just can happen overnight. It's not easy. It's not a, a, a light switch that you can just turn on. And when you, when you do that, uh, everything's fine. Because I know there are times we just want to turn on that light switch. In fact... Most of us wouldn't dare, we wouldn't dare sign up for one of the main things that it takes to be content. 
And there is a book in the Bible, again, dedicated to that one thing. The book is Job. And the main thing in that book is suffering. And so the whole 40 chapters, again, is dedicated to that. So what does your instinct tell you when suffering comes your way? I know what instinct tells me. Run for the hills. I mean, when, when I see suffering coming or it's on me, I'm thinking, i got to get out of here. i got to run and hide. It's getting claustrophobic. Emotionally and spiritually, there's just, just this sense of, of being trapped. I don't know if you've experienced that, but I know I have. I've thought, man, I, I just need to get out of here. My instinct says run. Get as far away from suffering as you possibly can. We live in a culture that teaches that. We live in a culture that models that. So unlike me, my friend that I talked about earlier has learned early on that you can't run from it, you can't hide from it, uh, you can't insulate from it. You can't. It's part of our journey. Rather, this person has embraced with courage and grace um, the whole suffering part of her life. And I think that even more she's embraced what suffering produces she embraces that this makes her like Jesus. It's a Jesus-likeness that comes from our suffering. And if you haven't already, we're going to look at that book, that book of Job in the Old Testament, again, between Esther and the book of Psalms. The book of Job is a, it's a timeless book. And the reason it's timeless is it deals with a the theme that we have our, we're talking about that is always relevant, always relevant, because we know even in this building, at any particular time, any particular day, someone is suffering. Around the world, it's the same thing. When we look at the crisis in Ukraine, we see people suffering. And we know they're suffering. So it's something that's relevant. It's something that has to do with all of our lives. And we've all lived through this. Now, I grew up in an era or a time in the body of Christ where people were trying to get through their suffering through the power of positive confession. Uh, maybe you remember that or you were part of that. Um, I can only say this. It doesn't work. I mean, positive confession is wonderful. But if you're trying to positively confess something that God uses to, to help you get away from you, it won't happen. Because it's contrary to God. It's contrary to what he wants to accomplish in your life. He wants to and he will go to incredible extremes to make you like him. That's what he does. He's committed to that. See, he, he can't get away from it. You know why Jesus is committed to you in that way? He has a covenant with you. This is a covenant that's an eternal cover, covenant. It's a covenant that has been made in blood. And it's been made by his broken body. We shared that this morning. It is a covenant that he stands on. It's a, it's a, it's a covenant that he's promised to you. And he says, I'm going to just stay with you. <clears throat> I'm never going to leave you, never going to forsake you. I'm going to be with you. I give you my word. I'm going to be with you. So someone at all times, somewhere is suffering. It's something that we always go through. So what we don't like about Job isn't so much per se suffering. I don't, I don't think that's what we don't appreciate or like about it. What we really don't like about it is this book opens us up to this possibility of extreme suffering. Extreme suffering. Now that scares us. I mean, if it doesn't scare you, uh, I don't know who you are. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know where you come from because I do know that it scares me. And I have to deal with that. 
the Bible says, to bring fear to him, to bring my, my sorrows to him, my brokenness to him. But listen, Job is one of those books that says, hey, uh, this is not only about suffering, this is about extreme suffering. And so you are going to see part of that in the scripture we read today. Uh, we're not going to have, again, a time to go through all 40 chapters, but you see it. So I want you to think about Job for a moment. Um, most of us have heard the name. Um, I mean, I'm thinking even before I, I, I was a strong believer in Jesus, and many of you, you, you heard the name Job. You heard the phrase, wow, that's suffering of Job. That's the hardships of Job. And you didn't even, maybe not even know where it came from. You might have thought it came from Confucius or, <laughs> you know, a, a Hindu belief or a, a Buddhist belief. Job talks to us about this. Job is the one who brings this extreme suffering to our attention. So I have an idea that a, a lot of us are already, and we're, we're, we're committed to knowing about Job and his story. What we have experienced in the past few years in our lives, you've experienced, I've experienced it, is similar to Job's experience. And this is one of those things that you can do, do like you did last week, we talked about the seven things in Joseph's life that look like Jesus. Well, we can do that in this passage as well, in this book as well. We can go through it and go, wow, there's some qualities here. There's some things that happened to Job that are happening to us right now. And we can compare those things. I mean, Job was afflicted by a horrible disease. It was an awful disease. And we know that, that, that a bad disease has affected us. Ours is a virus Job dealt with boils. I can't imagine that awful from his head to his toes. Then there's this sense of experiencing massive economic instability. And we feel that. It's like, wow, we're, it's, we're kind of jittery, aren't we? I remember before all this started, October before it started, we gathered like this as a church congregation. We had a, a prayer and worship night. We're going to have another one, by the way, on April 6th, Wednesday, April 6th. We're going to pray and worship. We're going to pray for salvation for the Easter season. So you want to be part of that. But we were at one of those times, and the word just came. I remember standing on the front row here, and the Lord just said, hey, there are going to be major disruptions coming your way. And uh, it stunned me. I really didn't have a whole lot planned to say that night. But from the time worship started to the time I came up just to share, I had a lot to say because the Lord had a lot to say. And he was preparing us. He was saying, listen, be prepared for some major disruptions. And that's the word. Disruption was the word that the Lord used with me, just praying. And it was so fascinating. I don't think it was just me, but this whole season, we've used that word. The media has used that word. People have used the word disruption. I mean, every time I hear it, I go, yeah, there's that word again. And, and disruption in economy, which we're seeing a lot of that. Major disruptions. Job lost his wealth. I mean, one day he woke up, and before he went to bed at night, his wealth was gone. The other thing is he uh, dealt with relational tension. He dealt with relational tension with his wife and his, uh, his four very kind friends. So if you've never looked into the book of Job, I was being facetious there. They, they, they just, they were not good friends. They really weren't. They tried to be, but they were friends that like always wanted to give you a solution. Have you noticed that? I mean, when you go through a hard time or maybe you're struggling with some sort of health issue. And listen, I know everybody has their thing. 
But, uh, you know, I've, I've dealt with stuff and people come and say, hey, you know what you need to do? Uh, what you need to do is you need to get this extract that only comes from India and you shake it up, put a little zinc in it and spin around three times and swallow it. But you have to t swallow it in three different sections. I'm just like, and it's like, what? Those kind of things. Those, they were kind of like Job's friends. It you know, makes sense. It's like, oh, man, I'm hearing all kinds of things here. This is what Job had to experience. We've had to experience some relational tension. That's an understatement. Uh, in families, in churches, in community. We're still dealing with that. We're still dealing with the, the political tension that goes on in church. We never thought that would altogether happen. I really didn't. Um, I was naive, obviously. But I, I thought, well, no, this is about Jesus. We'll keep the main thing, the main thing. Um, and, and, and Job had to deal with it. He had to deal with the, some of the same things. So church politics, we had to deal with the racial tension in the communities and culture that we face today. All of those things, again, relevant to what Job had to deal with. So many similarities and comparisons to our times. So another similarity, and I want you to think about this. No one really understood why Job was suffering so much. No one knew. They, you know, they were trying to figure it out. Job was trying to figure it out. And maybe you're going through one of those seasons right now, and I just want to speak to you personally, whether you're here online, that, that God has this. And I know that sounds simple, and you might respond back to me and say, yeah, you're not the one suffering. It's easy for you to say. Well, it's easy to say. It really is. But if anyone has ever really dealt with suffering, and I know many have, I have, uh, I think there's, a, uh, there's an affinity to that. When someone who's gone through extreme suffering and they talk to you, there's something that, that connects with your heart. And I want to say to you that you don't have to go through suffering alone. Because I want to tell you one of the primary objectives of suffering, at least Satan's primary objective, is to isolate you. I don't, there's nothing else. It's not really not that complicated. It's to isolate you and make you feel as though you're alone. Because I can tell you this, pain and suffering have a way of making you feel lonely. I know I've had to deal with that. Chronic pain. It just, it wants to isolate you. Satan wants to isolate you. Doesn't want me to connect with you. Doesn't want me to pray with you. Doesn't want me to spend time with you. Wants to separate me. And in a lot of ways, Satan has been successful in a lot of ways during this last couple years. And that concerns me. It bothers me. I, I hate Satan. I don't want that to happen. I want it to happen to you. My life is dedicated and laid down, and it's a shepherd's life. And whenever I see people hurt, it hurts. And you're going, no, no, don't let that happen. Don't let, please, do not let something like that happen. So we see that he was misunderstood. When we go through suffering, that happens. But they grappled with it. The friends of, Job's, of, of Job grappled with it. They struggled with it. They talked about it. They argued about it. Sound familiar? <clears throat> I mean, every time you get together. Sometimes I'm thinking, man, let's just talk about the weather for a little while, you know. Give me a break. You know when I told you that we have to develop some of our, our spiritual and emotional muscles because we lost some of that? We atrophied in some areas given this, this virus. We've, we've atrophied shelter in place and all that. Now, again, to an um, introvert, that's just like nirvana. That's heaven. Uh, but to an extrovert, it's going to drive them nuts, you know. And so I'm a little more on the introvert side, so I'm, I'm okay. 
Uh, but I realize that's not okay. It's not okay to be okay like that. There's muscles you have to exercise. I realized that I lost the muscles of small talk. Small talk is not small talk. Small talk is, is important. And my, my wife knows that. My kids know that. And I, I, I've lost some of that. I've lost some of it. And I've said, Lord, help me get that back. Help me regain that. Help me do that. I want people to know because through what we call small talk, there's an exercise of listening and paying attention. So we see that happen. These friends of Joseph didn't understand him. Uh, they didn't know if it was from God, if it was from Satan. I, is it personal sin in your life? You maybe heard that before. They all struggled to understand. And I think there's something else here. Another similarity. Job's suffering wasn't over immediately. <laughs> I get on the suffering train and I want it to be a bullet train. You know, I want it to be done, over with. I just want to jump on the train and be, be done with it. Uh, suffering in Job's situation didn't just get over overnight. And I, I know when what we've gone through, a lot of us, and we do, we do pray this way. It was like, you know, man, if we could do this in six weeks, that would be great. Well, it's not going to happen. It hasn't happened. And so I think for us, we have to look at this and say, I know I want to get it through it right away because I don't want to suffer. I don't, I don't want to do that. But it lasts a long time. At least it seems like a long time when you're going through it, doesn't it? It feels like dog years sometimes. It's like, when is this is going to get over? This just keeps going on. A matter of fact is we will suffer in this life. And we will suffer with God or without God. We make that choice. I've realized that early on. I think of what the psalmist said in Psalm 27, verse 5. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tents and set me high upon a rock. I love that. It's speaking to trouble. It's speaking to the trouble we face. So there are a few things. I'm going to move this through this with you. There are a few things to know about Job. First of all, Job was a successful man. He was a famous man. People knew who Job was. I mean, people knew who he was then, and they know who he is today. doesn't get any more famous than this. This guy is famous. He's successful. And I don't know, have you ever been surprised when you see successful, wealthy people suffer? Uh, there's times I just get surprised. It's like, I didn't, I didn't know that could happen to them. You know, they're successful. They're successful. They're, they're wealthy. But everyone suffers. And so when I see that happen, and Job, his friends were the same way. They were more astounded that he was suffering because he was wealthy and because he was successful. That just put it in another class. And that's what happened with Job. And that's why all the constraining and the consternation going on there. Job was renowned in the land. I want you to listen to what it says. Job chapter 1. And you're saying, Ron, you finally got there. Job chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen, and five hundred donkeys, and had a large number of servants. Listen, I don't care what society you're part of, that's wealthy. 
right there. That's, that's a lot of wealth. He was the greatest man among all of the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on, his, on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when a period of feasting had run out its course, Job would make arrangements, listen to this, make arrangements for them to be purified. Now, in his mind, he's thinking, man, my, I know my kids messed up. They were having some big old parties. They got too drunk. They got, so what does he do? He does this overall kind of uh, penance. You know, it was like a, it was like a penance. He was, he, was, he was hopefully buying God's favor a little bit here. He's saying, my kids, man, they just don't know what they're doing. So I'm going to. I'm going to sacrifice. So early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking this, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Yeah, kids have a way of making you do things regularly, mainly pray. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. This is interesting. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord. He said, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, and he is a man who fears God and shuns evil. Now, I want you to pay attention to that last verse, verse 8. Notice that God doesn't mention anything about his wealth. Isn't that interesting? I thought, well, well, it was talk. His, the, the narrative was his wealth and his, his righteousness. But here God just points to his righteousness. Shows us a bit of what God pays attention to. He, he's looking at our righteousness. He's looking at, he's looking at our life, our inner life, not so much our outer life. And that was interesting to me. In verse 7, uh, uh, listen, you've got to stop here because it begins by saying there was a man. I like that. There was a man. You have a tendency to elevate people, and we forget that there are men and women. What we are dealing with here is a real story about a real man. That's what we're dealing with. And the reason we say that is because there are some who have said this is an allegory, that what you're reading here is a parable, that it wasn't real. It's just a story somebody's telling. But it's not an allegory. It's not a parable. This is not any of that. This is a real man with real problems who has very, very difficult circumstances that he has to deal with. So Job is a real man mentioned by Ezekiel. So if you're taking notes, Ezekiel chapter 14 mentions Job. In the New Testament, James chapter 5 mentions Job. Uh, something else in this book of Job, there are names of people. Usually in allegories or parables, they don't just give names of particular people or places. It's just, you know, in general, there are names of people. There are names of places. One of the names of his friends was, one of Job's friends was Eliphaz. Uh, he was a, uh, a Timnite, a Timonite or Timnite. Where does he come from? He's a real person. He's a friend that meets Job or knows Job. We meet him a little later. Elpaz was uh, from the Edomites. Uh, he was Palestinian. He was actually from the line of Esau. We're that breaking. So remember Jacob and Esau, they were brothers. Their father was, uh, their father was Isaac. So, so they, they, this is a real person, Jacob's brother, Isaac's son. So another thing is there are names of people. I said that. There are names of real places. Here's Uz. Uz is mentioned here. 
Ancient allegories never mention real people in real places. Now, you might be thinking, I, I've never heard of the land of us. I've heard of the land of Oz. Okay, there's Oz. I want you to know there's a difference here. That's the land of Oz right there. I have some people come and say, well, I'm studying the Bible. Is that, is that the land of Oz? Is it, was it with Oz? Nope. Nope, that's the land of Oz, fantasy, it's a parable, it's an allegory. But the land that we're talking about, the land of Uz, is totally different. The land of Uz is southern Jordan, northern South Arabia. You just need to know, it's different. Oz is fake. Oz is fake, Uz is real. And so there you have it. It's a real place. Job was a successful man. His wealth and his character were the things that made people sit up and take notice. That if he was around, they say, oh, Job's in the room. Job's in the room. I don't know if you've ever been in a place. I mean, I, it's happened to me. I you know, grew up down, and forgive me, but I grew up down in Southern California. Had nothing to do with being born there. Uh, I just was. And I grew up down there, but it was, was common. It wasn't uncommon to be in a restaurant somewhere, and you're having a meal, and somebody famous walks in. And when someone famous walks in, everybody notices. Everybody sees them. I mean, I, that's happened to me. I'm probably more prone to notice sports figures when they come in. And I've I've seen him, man. I was uh, I was at an In-N-Out Burger place, and you guys like that place. And and I was there, and it was in Palm Springs. And I looked over, there was this huge, huge mountain of a man getting a huge, huge Coke. And he was he was usually right there. And I looked over, and I went, "Whoa, hey boys, look!" And they said, "No, we're not looking. You're teasing us." I said, "No, someone famous walked in. Look." And it was Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, he was standing right there. And my, you know, we all stopped. The whole restaurant stopped. When Job showed up, that's what people would do. They would take notice. The Bible says that he was blameless. He was upright. That he feared God. That he turned away from evil. It says here he owns 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. But here's the biggest one, his legacy. And that's what we want to pay attention. It mentioned here he has seven sons and three daughters. This is a big deal. It's a big deal for us, but especially in ancient times, because this is where your legacy gets passed. And today, it's the same. It might not be physical wealth, but you pass the legacy of Jesus Christ on. You pass that on. And I want to see that go to my kids. I want you to pray that it goes to your kids, that it goes to your grandkids, that you pray over them. That I'm mindful that when I'm with my grandkids, every time I'm with them, uh, I'll usually take their hand and pray for them. I did it this morning service. Just took this little girl's hand and said, Lord, let your name be her legacy. Let that be her legacy. And so we want to pray that way. And so that's what happens here. Job was a famous fella. He was a famous man. Uh, there are a few other important things to note about an important man. An important reason Job suffered is so others could see how righteous people suffer. You know what? There's no other way to learn the lesson. <laughs> You're it. And the Bible says that when you suffer, you are on display. Ugh. I don't like being on display, especially when it shows my bad side. I mean, I don't want to be there. I don't, I don't want anyone to see me. I want to hide. I don't want that to happen. But the Bible says in Romans 15... That when you suffer, you're suffering so that others can see your life and they know what it looks like to suffer in a righteous, godly way. Listen, that's, a, that's, that's something that God says is so important for us. 
It's so important. Something else to notice, the book of Job is considered one of the very first books of the Bible. You can write that down. Probably the oldest biblical manuscript. So if you're going to put it in chronological order, it would be in the book of Genesis or before the book of Genesis or after. Right there, it's with the patriarchs. In fact, a lot of scholars say that Jacob and Job were buddies. They knew each other. So there were the, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, and, and uh, Esau, and Joseph. So Job was a contemporary of those, those individuals. He's in the Old Testament. The reason we know that is there's no place in bef- that he mentions. Job mentions the, f- the, the exodus. There's no place that he talks about the law. Job doesn't do that. Every other Old Testament book talks about the patriarchs, talks about the law. So if someone comes to you and says, how do you know, Job, well, how do you know it was old and, and written a long time ago? That's the reason. You, there, there's no reference to those things that had taken place. And so we see that here in the Old Testament. And then number two, Job was an important man. Job was a suffering man, too. That's obvious. But I think we should state it. Job was a suffering man. So here's the crazy thing. None deserve suffering less than a few have suffered more than Job. No one deserves any less to suffer, but few have suffered that much. He suffered probably more than any individual. You can look it up in Job chapter 1, verses 9 through 22. I want you to take time and write that down. Another place you look, because the the passages are massive here, you look at chapter 2, verses 7 through 10, and that you study those passages in Scripture, and it tells you that. It talks about what befalls Job. What happens is, He gets word that his crops are gone, that they just got destroyed. He gets word that his kids have been ransacked and and killed by the Sabines and by the Chaldeans. He gets word that calamity comes. He woke up rich. He went to bed poor. Happened fast. And so you see that here. Three times it says, and only one escaped to tell Job what had happened. So you see that. Job's suffering presents three issues for us that we got to grapple with. How much freedom does Satan have? That's one thing I ask. Have you ever wondered that? How much freedom? I'm not going to give you a lot of answers because I don't have a lot of answers. I just have to ask that. I'll tell you why. Sometimes I think he gets too much rope. You know, I'm thinking, but this is what I know. He's under God's control. Everything is under God's sovereignty. That's what I know. That's what I see. That's what I understand in Scripture. He is limited, and he's under God's control. That's, we know, that's what we know. And then second issue, the second issue is why do, uh, why do people, righteous people, suffer? Do you, I don't, I, have you asked that? But there's been times in my life where I, I, know, I know that I haven't been all upright and upstanding and blameless, and I'm not suffering. And I think, man, this is the time I probably should be suffering. You know, this is probably the time I should be getting really hit because I'm, I'm not doing what I, I'm being disobedient. And then obedience kicks in and I'm following Jesus and I'm really close to him and, and, and calamity comes. And then you ask the question, why do righteous people suffer? That's something these guys struggle with. That's something we, we all struggle with. Uh, these are righteous people. Job is one, but they still believe God is good. You see, you hold on to that. You still believe God is good. Today, in my calamity, in my suffering, I hold on and I say, God is good. 
he is a good God. And then what happens after death? Because Job talks about that. They have a discussion about life after death. This is what we know. All who believe in Jesus Christ will be saved and will spend eternity in heaven with him. This is a great place to tell you Jesus is coming again. This is a great place to remind you that it's not by your works, but it's by your faith in Jesus Christ that you believe in him. Today that you would hold on to him. And here is the last thing. Job was a seeking man. So what do we have here? We have a successful man. Notice how we did that. Uh, we have a successful man, a suffering man, and a seeking man. And, and that's really what Job, Job was asking God about a lot of things. And you see that in Job 3, uh, verses 11 and 12, and it talks about him suffering and what he's seeking. Uh, he, it says here, why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to, to receive me and, and the and breast that I might be nursed. He's basically saying, why did I ever live? Why did I ever live? What's the purpose of my life? And, and it's about, he's talking about, man, there could have been, you could have got through this a lot easier, Lord, if I would have just never been born. But, but there is a heaven and an earth. We know that. And they struggle with that. They talk about it. He says, man, why didn't I just die at birth? Why didn't that happen? These are questions that all of us, all of us ask. Job rested, listen, he rested in two eternal truths. First, God can do anything. And just say that, God can do anything. I think you got, I got to hear myself say that. God can do anything. And the second is, God controls everything. Say that one too. God controls everything. That's where our foundation is right now. You think things are spinning out of control, and it sure looks like it at times. But I got to go back here and say, God can do anything. God controls everything. He is a sovereign God. First, it talks about his power. Secondly, it talks about his sovereignty. That happiness and peace and real grace come because we trust in his sovereignty. Remember one of the words that we spoke? That right now there are righteous rearrangements being made around the earth in our lives as individuals. And I think almost everyone in this room can raise their hand and say, yeah, I have witnessed righteous rearrangements in my life. I haven't liked them all. I'm not comfortable with them all. But I know they're from God because he's in control. He's a sovereign God. And what I want to say here is so important. I keep repeating this. But we've put our faith oftentimes in what is certain. We look at, well, what are the things that are certain? And we say, that's what I'm going to trust in. That's what I'm going to believe in. Uh, my, I'm certain of my mutual fund. Well, you used to be. But I'm certain of my mutual fund. I'm certain of this. I'm certain of that. I want to tell you something. That's not where God tells you to put your faith. He says, put it in me, not in certainty, not in the things you're certain of. And I'll, there's a hunger, a deep hunger today for certainty. Everyone wants certainty. I'm here to tell you, you don't get it. The only certainty we have is faith in Jesus Christ. It's when we keep the main thing the main thing. That's certainty. And anybody tell you something different, it isn't certain. There are things that are just not certain. People have said, well, when's Jesus coming again? They asked Jesus that. He goes, I don't know. I'm not certain about that. But my father is. So listen, if there's uncertainty in Jesus' response about certain things... There certainly is uncertainty in, in wh where we live. And I think it's so that we 
put our trust in him, that we trust in Jesus Christ. There are so many lessons from Job. Here, here are a few. I'm going to close with this. Suffering has been part of life from the very beginning. Uh, my suffering is not unique to the human race. Now, the details may be unique, but my suffering isn't unique. Number two, godly people are not exempt from suffering. Boy, we find that out. And then three, we may never know why suffering occurs. I don't know. I don't even know if we'll know that when we get to heaven. I don't know. We may never know why suffering occurs. And then the last thing here is we can always find rest in God's sovereignty. <clears throat> you can always find rest in the sovereignty of God. Be sure of that today. And know that God is moving, that he's doing things in your life. He's doing things in my life. Would you bow your head for just a moment? I'm going to invite our prayer teams to come forward, but I'm also going to invite anyone here that is, is uncertain about your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's a place you can be certain. Jesus saves you. When you call in the name of the Lord, it says you can be saved. And today, if you don't, if you don't know Jesus and you want to know him, you want to make a commitment to him, right where you are, your head bowed, your eyes closed, I won't embarrass you. Just lift your hand. And say, I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior today. And if you lift your hand, we have a little package we want to give you that talks about this journey of salvation. Good. God is saving people. It's been fun to watch that happen here and in our community. Continue to pray for salvation. Pray for salvation in other people. God is working in people's lives. Father, I just thank you for your great salvation. The things you do and how you do them. And I ask that you bless us today, that you keep us, that, Lord, your grace would just invade every part of who we are and what we do. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.